Selling Studios, powered by RumbleOn.com. It's time to take you behind the scenes in Smash Man. Cuts across, he scores! This is the Preds' official podcast with Thomas Willis and Brooks Bratton. Powerful blow from back of the net. On Smashville's best sports talk. ESPN. 102.5 The Game. It's the Predators official podcast here on ESPN 1025 The Game, streaming on the Game Nashville app and wherever you find this, your favorite podcast. Brooks Bratton and Thomas Willis of NashvillePredators.com here for episode 55 of the POP. As the Nashville Predators begin the 2019-20 season, producer Calvin back in the studio with us. The band is back together, Thomas Willis. All is right with the world. How about that? How about last episode, we were overreacting to small sample sizes from the preseason. Let's overreact to a single game. <laughs> That's next on the Preds Official Podcast. Yeah. Let's not make the, oh, they're going to go 82-0 joke. Right. I guess I, I just kind of just did that. You sort of did. Although I will say, at Friday's practice, at least from my ears, I was content. No one threw out a, this player's on an 82-goal pace <laughs> or... Whatever the math is, wow, don't even ask me. Matt Duchesne, what's 82 times 3? It's like oh, 256 gosh. or something like That's that. That's a lot of helpers. Yeah. A lot of apples. I, I think that was avoided. Although I will admit I said, you want to win them all, you got to win the first one. Uh, <laughs> That's how it works. Anywho. Well, and I got called out by Coach LaViolette today. Good. Because, <laughs> good. But good to hear. Because I started my question with, I know there's still 81 more games to go. He said, just 81. Ouch. As in, like, we're going to keep playing in the playoffs? Mm-hmm. You're right, Coach. More than 81, but it was a good start. Yep. That's how you want to start an opening night. The Nashville Predators defeating the Minnesota Wild by a 5-2 final. We'll have a full recap of that one for you. We'll try not to overreact too much. Matthew Shane, three assists in the debut. Not too shabby for his first official go-around with the Nashville Predators. Uh, we sat down with Victor Arvidsson for the first time mm-hmm. on this program, a fan favorite, so a good chat with him coming up. We'll have our impressions of opening night and what's to come for the Preds this season. We have more tickets to give more away. More tickets. And your Twitter questions. But first, that big opening night showdown, the Preds in the Wild at the Bridgie Bridgestone Arena. A 2-1 lead for Minnesota going into the third period, but the Preds rattle off four in that final frame and take it by a 5-2 final. Ryan Ellis, Mikhail Granlin, Austin Watson, Victor Arvidsson, Philip Forsberg all score. Matt Duchesne, as we said, three helpers. Pecorine, solid as usual, 22 saves. It wasn't a perfect effort. It never really is. None of them are ever perfect. Mm-hmm. But all in all, the Predators were pretty pleased with what they saw in game number one officially of that final roster that they also named earlier in the week Mm -hmm. and of course Matt Duchesne the big star attraction and he does not disappoint in his debut well think back on the goals that were scored by the Predators on Thursday night each of them unique and special (laughs) in their own way none of them necessarily beautiful but uh, effective you've got the first goal of the season we think it's Mikhail Granlin on the power play but his stick was above the crossbar I will say it hit Nick Benino too. It did. Seeing it live, I thought it was high. Yep. That being said, on the first replay, again, remember this. It's not where the hockey stick swing begins. It's where it makes contact. And I think there's some people blowing it out of proportion saying it was never even close. I think it actually was pretty close. Mm-hmm. It, it was high. The right call was made. But again, it's where it makes contact, and it can be even with the crossbar. So I thought it was fairly close. So we think that's the first goal of the season. We're ready. The power play stories are already written. You're 600 words into your power play's backstory. <laughs> that would have made it one for two at the time, 50%. That goal gets recalled after a double review. So it's on the ice, no goal. They talk about it on the ice, yeah. call it a goal. Yeah. Then it gets reviewed with video, not a goal. Yeah. Well, and it was a perfect example of the new rule. One of the new rules that we've talked so much about, that San Jose rule, if you want to call mm-hmm. it that, with the hand pass yep. back in the playoffs last year. Of course, we all remember that, how they beat the Blues. It didn't ultimately matter as the Blues won the Stanley Cup, but San Jose used a hand pass in overtime to win a game in the playoffs. Nobody wants that, but mm-hmm. nobody on the ice was able to see it at the time. There wasn't anything you could do about it. So now this new rule is enacted. So last night was a perfect example of as you said, emphatically waved off originally on the ice. 
the officials come together. They say, no, we're going to reverse our call on the ice and say it was a goal, which Minnesota then has the opportunity to challenge and say, no, no. Even mm-hmm. though that puck went in off of Nick Benino, it went off of him because it was hit to him with a high stick, mm-hmm. which is, of course, illegal. Mm-hmm. That ends up being the final ruling on that. So, yes, right. we, we thought we had a power play goal right off the bat. And we right. thought it was Mikhail Granlund against his old team. Yeah. And what a start it would have been for him. Yeah, no, that's great that that improvement has been made back to that Sharks-Blues game. What was so frustrating about that at the time was... The officials on the ice moments afterwards knew it was the wrong call, but did not have the option to have it reviewed. Mm-hmm. Now it's able, like you said, based on the challenge. And our loyal listeners will remember our tangent that we went on over the summer. Well, sure. Um, so, yeah, it seemed like a great story there. But so then the actual first goal of the season is Ryan Ellis, no idea where the puck is, bounces <laughs> off his leg and just goes into the goal. You thought that was potentially going to be challenged. Well, I mean, and, and moments after, Devin Dubnik made a spectacular yes, save on, yes. on Granlin again. Devin Dubnik complains about everything, so he does <laughs> complain about that goal, of course. Then you've got Mikhail Granlin, didn't even know that it went off him. That may be, quote-unquote, the prettiest goal of the night. That was the Duchesne pass to Yossi. Still kind of a weird deflection. And that tied it early that in the third. That tied it. Then you've got... Yeah, in the first minute of the third. I think once that goal went, I think it's 27 seconds seconds, in. Once that happened, you were like, okay, the Preds have righted the ship already. Austin Watson with a deflection while practically lying on the ice. That's your third goal of the season. Victor Arvidsson, okay, and then Philip Forsberg empty net. To me, unless they're clinching a playoff series, the empty net goal is never necessarily beautiful. So uh, (laughs) funny how they all come together. Um, And and for a time, I was thinking to myself, this first week of the season, a lot of times – that's when you get the six to five hockey game because even though there's been some preseason, the players are just getting used to game action again. More mistakes are made. I feel like this is unscientific here. I feel like more penalties are kind of called a lot of times because yeah. you're kind of trying that out as well. And I'm sitting there and it's one to nothing late in the second period. And I was like, of course. Like, meanwhile, the Rangers and the Jets played a six to four game. Like, goals were being scored all around the league. And I was like, of course, we're going to be traded to like a one nothing game. Um, but that second intermission was, it seems, uh, a, a definite turning point for this Predators team. And Pecorine commented after Thursday's win saying, yeah, basically Lavi walked in and said, this is, this is not how we play. Like, this is sluggish. This is not good. Let's put in the work. Like, let's turn this around. Um, and, and I think these first two games, this is very much speculation because we're just beginning the 1920 season. But the Wild and the Red Wings may be two of the worst teams in the National Hockey League, in my opinion. So these are two games you want to win and you want to get off on the right foot. Um, and let's talk about this more. But what the one takeaway that I walked away with that I liked the most was I had a couple people ask me, you know, how did Matt Duchesne look? And, and I said, in a weird way, quiet for three assists because you hear three assists and you're like, oh, he must have had a heck of a game. Mm-hmm. There weren't necessarily some of the flashy plays that we saw during the preseason, but to me that could be better long-term because it was simply the fact that the first and second lines were just quietly driving the offense all night long, and that's how the points were were brought up, and and that's how it occurred, and the comeback technically happened. So They were all secondary assists for Duchesne, but I will say that I feel like just about every time he was on the ice – I noticed him in a positive way. Well, back to your point, Mikhail Granlin, I saw Robbie Stanley Manichal.com tweet this saying he thought Mikhail Granlin maybe had his best game in a Preds uniform. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. So like, again, he in theory had the goal in the first period, did score later, had could have had another one was, if, it, if it weren't for that wonderful save from Dubnik. Gr- agreed. Was very noticeable. And I think that's what you're looking for. To me, Philip Forsberg, for example, did not have a very flashy game. Gets the goal via the empty net. But that's how nights are going to go. If you consistently are generating chances, that's what hockey is to me as a sport, right? It's it's quantity and, you know, out of that quantity, getting enough quality to be able to score goals. Like plan on scoring three to four goals every game, you're going to be able to go a long ways. So we talked so much over the last couple of weeks of what the lines would look like. And the Duchesne-Forsberg-Grandlin line that was rolled out very early in training camp. Yeah does end up staying together to start. None of us believed it early in training camp. We were like, well, this is fun, but... The Jofa line officially broken up, at least to start. So Ryan Johansson and Victor Arvidsson are together. We thought it might have been Kyle Turris on opening night. It ends up being Craig Smith 
on their wing. Kyle Turris goes back to the center position, ends up centering Rocco Grimaldi and Callie Yarncroft, which I thought they had some good chances as well. I, I think all four lines really played their role mm-hmm. to a T in the home opener. And I even asked Peter LaViolette on Friday about the so-called fourth line. I, I don't want to give them numbers because there's they don't like doing that. The players, coaches don't like necessarily giving them numbers. It's the the tourist line, the Benino line. It's not the one, two, three, four line. Sure. But that Benino line with Colton Sissons and Austin Watson were the only trio of all the units who have actually played together before yeah. opening night in a game. And I asked coach on Friday and said, why, uh, you know, of all the different looks that you gave, why did you want to go back to those three? He's like, that's just a really solid line for me. I know that they have the capability to chip in some offense, but I also know how much I can trust them no matter what area of the ice that they're on. And he's like, I, re- I really just like the three of them together. We know mm-hmm. that they did some damage a couple of years ago in the playoffs against Colorado. We know they have that capability, but that's also just a really reliable line, as mm-hmm. he said. And as far as the other three are concerned, you like what you saw. As you said, not every player was lighting the world on fire, but you don't need one everyone. One you game. don't need everyone to do that mm-hmm. on opening night, or you don't need everyone to do that night after night. As long as there are enough players who are helping to contribute on a consistent basis. And I still feel like that's what you saw. 11 players had at least one point last night Mm -hmm. for the Predators. It's not like one line was doing Mm -hmm. all the work. I think everybody spread it out really nicely. I'm going to put you on the spot. What's the Predators' record in home openers now? I I read that today. It's like practically immaculate. I think it was like 16 out of 20 they've won or something like that. Yeah, they're good. Well, and we know that they've won six straight over Minnesota now, dating back to two seasons ago. swept them last year via two shootout wins as well. Uh, You talk while I find this. Wait, never mind. I'm going to find it it's right <laughs> fascinating radio nashville has now won 10 of its last 13 home openers wow i said 16 of 20 that's not even close okay 10 out of 13 yeah that's that's pretty special let's play a couple sound bites for you as we wrap up this discussion first off peter laviolette on matt duchene in nashville yes we had the preseason we've had all summer but that was the debut this is where he wanted to be we we wanted to have him and um it 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 finally happened and um, he's he stepped right in. I mean, this is, t- t- I think for him, if you ask him, this is his home. Like Nashville is his home. He wants to be here. He wants this to be a place where he thrives, and um, he's bringing that to work right now. That comes off the heels of Matt Duchesne in his first gold walk presented by Nissan, an opening night ceremony where they greet the fans and walk down a gold carpet. And he did so dressed like Johnny Cash, which we have a story about um, on nationalpredators.com right now. <laughs> I got into Testing the Testing Calvin in his first time back in the booth in a little bit. We got sound bites and drops. Impressive. Oh, he's hasn't missed a beat. Not well, even a question. I, I got into the office and wrote that one early on Friday morning. Yeah. They were like, our, our execs love him. They were like, take your time. Get in late. I'm like, no, no, I got to get in early. I got to, the story's in my head and I got to get it out before I forget it all. Yeah. So yeah, really enjoyed penning that one uh, quickly this morning. So Give that a read, but then... Yeah, here's Duchesne on why he really wanted to embrace Nashville with a Johnny Cash look on game number one. I had high expectations, but I came in, uh, you know, kind of trying to be like, try to save and keel, and it's blown my expectations out of the water. I haven't haven't even got to do a quarter of what I've uh, wanted to do around the city yet. uh, But, uh, I mean, as a team, this is exactly the team that... Um, tonight that you know I wanted to come and join and this decision to come here was hockey first all the way and um, I you know this uh, was so much fun for me to to play with the team like that tonight. To me it reminds me of Peter Laviolette's first game behind the bench that was a home opener you had to win that one just a few years ago you had PK Subban's first game with the Preds that was a home opener he scores a goal in his first shot like you said secondary assist but a three-point game for Matt Duchesne the second best ever debut by a Preds player just behind Steve Sullivan with four points. A nice story to start this 2019 season with. Now where does it go the next 81 games? Um, And I think we're all excited to see it. Before we cover the next 81 games, let's sit down (laughs) with Preds forward Victor Arvitz and we have a lovely chat for you coming up with him in the next segment. That's all on the POP on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Welcome back to the Predators official podcast here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Brooks Bratton and Thomas Willis, we are in the Alexis Lounge at Bridgestone Arena for this chat. 
And we've been doing the show for over a year now, but somehow we have never had Victor Arvidsson on the program. So, Arvi, apologies, first of all, that it's taken this long, but welcome. Thanks for doing it. No problem. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, first off, we'll get to the off-ice stuff in just a minute, but we got to ask you, opening night, Bridgestone Arena, a big 5-2 win over the Minnesota Wild. One, how nice was it to be back? And two, how nice was it to get the win under those circumstances at home, big opening night, everyone's pumped up, and you give them all a reason to be happy? Yeah, well, it's great to be back in Nashville and great to see all the fans being here last night. And I think we played a played a solid game. We had we had a slump of seven minutes there that we that we let them in back in the game. But other than that, I think we really really gave it all and and we got out, out on top. So I feel like we had had a good first game and now we're just gonna roll from here and, and play Detroit tomorrow. All right, I'll take it off the ice then. So you grew up in Sweden, of course. Your dad is a potato farmer. I just need to hear so much more about that. <laughs> no, like we we lived out uh, in the suburbs of Skellefteå and in a, a little village. And him, my dad, and, and his his brother, my uncle, had had a potato farm, and, and they he kind of kind of work with that so we helped out a lot uh, at the at that with that so it's kind of that way and like they my dad doesn't do it now but my uncle still still has it and, and runs it so um, it's it's nice to see see it still still existing so if you're around potatoes that much growing up do you love them or do you kind of despise the look of them even now no it's <laughs> i eat them it's it's good it's good for you but like i it's not like I, I ate it a ton ton of it, but like when I when I'm home, I I'll go to the farm and, and pick up some potatoes for sure and and hang out there. So that's it's it's nice to have and and nice to that it's like I said still still is there when when I grew up with it and and my my brother and my sister too. So uh, it's fun. That's awesome. So you grow up on a farm in sweden and now you're a professional hockey player in the united states uh, that that's crazy to think about when you think about how your life's taken that course yeah for sure uh it's it's been a been a long journey and, and starting off there was it was fun we had a lot of room to 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 play at and play hockey and soccer and stuff like that and just uh after that just took off and started playing the in the team there in skeleftia and my my dad and my mom drove me me a lot and just after a while we, we decided to move to Skellefteå and, and stay there and we after that my career kind of kind of blossomed out. There's lots of legendary Swedish players: Peter Forsberg, Mattsson, Dean. What was it like growing up uh, playing the game? And and did you? watch a lot of those guys did you have access to seeing nhl games or were you more you have to watch things in sweden of that nature uh i didn't watch a lot of nhl hockey no i wouldn't say like you you followed forsberg sunday and lidstrom and those guys and watched them when they're with the national team every time but it wasn't like i watched nhl no like not what i can remember and i watched the elite team back home and like with my buddies and stuff and and their dads and, and parents so I was kind of where where my hockey and, and like interest in hockey came up and after that just you started to realize you you were kind of good at it and, and just kept working hard and, and kind of left all the other sports behind and, and kind of focused only on hockey. You've been in Nashville a few years now with this team, and uh, you got married, I guess, last summer, so not the one that just happened, but a, a year ago. Um, what's it been like settling down in, into kind of having your roots with the contract that you have and, and now being married, and, and maybe tell our listeners something about your wife they may not know? <laughs> just, uh, uh, no, we got married last last summer, on and, and July 20th, and it was awesome. Uh, uh, we've been together, me and Moa, for for eight and a half years so it's it's been a while and we we kind of grew up together I, I would say and it's kind of kind of kind of fun that way so uh, other than other than that there was a lot of a lot of guys coming over to the to the wedding too so that was that was a lot of fun who uh, of your teammates 
who we we asked this uh, earlier this summer of Roman Yossi about who impressed him most, maybe on the dance floor at his wedding, or who was having a really good time. Is there anyone that stood out to you at your wedding? Yeah, I'd say I said Craig Smith was kind of he was kind of fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, so that no, there was there was a lot of people there. So I I would say Craig and and, and Yarny had a, had a had a good time too. I have to imagine all three of us have been to numerous American weddings in our lives, but Brooks and I at least have never been to a Swedish wedding. Is there different traditions or anything that's uh, unique to that culture? I don't think so. I think it's pretty pretty like the same. Uh, I think most of the guys were surprised by the daylight and, and being up in the north of Sweden, like you have daylight the whole the whole the whole night basically, and the sun only sets for two hours. So I was kind of. They were kind of mostly impressed by that. They didn't know what time it was when they went to bed, so that was kind of funny. That's awesome. So you, you talked about growing up with Mo. Obviously, she's over here with you. When when you came over, when you were drafted by Nashville and you ended up playing here, there, of course, are a lot of other Swedes on the roster with Phil, Callie, Matthias. What was it like kind of having that Swedish conglomerate here and, and having a lot of guys that you, you're familiar with, they're your fellow countrymen, and you're able to kind of grow together on the ice and off the ice no for sure it was it was really really good i i lived at the hotel for for my first year and they they had their apartments right across the street so it was good to go there and have dinner and stuff like that but i would say it was probably more easy for for moa to have have girl girlfriends that was swedish for her to to really settle in and have people to talk to for me in hockey it's kind of different i i get to I get to play the game I love with people that does that too. So we kind of have something in common. So, and for her to have something in common with us, someone else was was kind of good for her and to to quickly get into the uh, to the routines. Nashville Predators forward Victor Arvidsson is our guest here on the Preds Official Podcast on ESPN 102.5 The Game. This story's been told before, but maybe expand on that. Just, I think it was that you, Eki, and Phil were all living in that one apartment complex at one point, like right next to the practice ring. So wh- how, how do you help each other? Like what's something that, you know, as Swedes, you're like, oh, this is an American thing we need to learn or get used to, and that maybe one of you learns and passes along to the others. You kind of went through that journey uh, all together. Yeah, uh, it was it was actually Yarny and, and Phil and Eki, yeah. But like, but I was at the hotel, so it's kind of I kind of learned from them too. Okay. Like they 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 taught me a lot and, and kind of how things works with with different paying the bill is way different here than from Sweden and, and stuff like that. So it's it's good to have someone that that can can you can relate with and, and kind of help you through times where you don't have any clue about what to do so that was that was huge i feel like most guys answer food when i ask this question but you get to go back to sweden in the off season but what's one thing that you miss when you're here for most of the year you're in north america just the calmness of of being being around like i'm i'm from north so like being home is just calm and still and not a lot of noises and stuff like that so i i enjoy that and being out in the boat and just having a good time so that's 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 kind of it you touched on that was going to be our next question you are an aspiring fisherman you you enjoy to do that i think that speaks to you know being in those peaceful waters and kind of having some time to yourself what's a what's a fish story you should tell us what's what's something you've caught that you're proud of no i don't know me and my dad and my 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 brother usually go up up in the woods and, and fish we this year we went on a helicopter and just got out there and in the middle of nowhere and just fished for two days straight so that's kind of it's neat tenting like so that's that's kind of my my passion when i'm not playing hockey the Jofa line was traditionally comprised of yourself, Ryan Johansson, Philip Forsberg. You've been broken up, at least for now, to start the season, but you're still with Ryan Johansson, and he's joked in the past that he's got to learn to speak Swedish to be able to communicate with you guys, that he's the best-looking one on that line. But what what is it like playing with Joey, and, and what is he like kind of on and off the ice just, just as a person to be around? Well, it's fun to be around, and, and he... He's a good friend of mine, and we 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 have fun together. So like he's he's great, and learned I've learned much from him, and and, and he 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 went to my wedding too. So it's it's awesome, and 
on the ice he's like he's just great and he can protect the puck uh, so good and, and find plays he's always looking for your, for a teammate to pass to so i i really enjoyed playing with him for for this is the fourth year so it's 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 awesome let's close on this we asked roman this i guess a couple episodes ago why could this be the year for the Preds? As tough as the division is, as you know, the pieces and, and the players come and go. Uh, we, of course, all remember the success from a couple of years ago. Why, maybe even just to you, do you feel like you know this could be the year that the Preds win it all? I don't know. I think we we had two years where we were not happy with with our performance. I feel like, and we still played really good in the, in the regular season, but. I think uh, we need to just calm down and realize we're we're a great team and we we can beat anyone in this league. So like I feel like we're we're right there now and just have some some fun with it and, and instead of feeling that pressure every day. So I feel like that's a that's a big part of it. Arvi, thanks for walking with us to the Lexus Lounge, stealing a few minutes away during this opening homestand, and good luck this year. Thank you. Up next, we chat final roster construction here on the Preds Official Podcast on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Welcome back to the Predators Official Podcast here on ESPN 102.5 The Game, streaming on the Game Nashville app as we roll right along with episode 55, Brooks Bratton and Thomas Willis of NashvillePredators.com. Angels and Airwaves, a band from my childhood. I feel like I'm in high school. I love it. Tom DeLong's side project of Blink-182, which we just found out. Producer Calvin has no idea who Blink-182 is. Speaking of people who might still be in high school, Producer Calvin doesn't know who (laughs) Blink-182 is. Unreal. That's okay. I kind of pride myself on not knowing cultural references because I'm like, you know what? I care about the things that I care about, and like I'm not going to be offended when I don't know that Stevie Nicks is not a guy; it's a girl. <laughs> See, did, did you know Calvin, that? Calvin, did you Calvin's know Stevie Nicks on that is, one too? Stevie Nicks is a female. Yeah, shoot, don't tell you me. know that. I forgot the band again. Um, oh my goodness, he doesn't even know the band. It's not the Foo Fighters. No, it's not. <laughs> Stevie Nicks uh, does on. not sing for the Foo Fighters. And confusingly, remember this, Calvin? Boy, this is great radio. The lead singer is a girl named Stevie. One of the other members of the band, I think guitar, the guitarist, guitar player. is a guy named Lindsay. Lindsay Buckingham. And that we're just supposed to accept that as completely normal and act like, oh yeah, everybody knows that. It was also oh. brilliantly played by Bill Hader when Saturday Night Live does the famous What Up With That sketch. Shoot, it's going to kill me. I don't know what band it is. I'm totally blanking. Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Remember? Mac. And you also think it's dumb that it's it, named after Mick Fleetwood, named the drummer. after the drummer. Yeah, yeah, I remember now. They were at Bridgestone <sighs> Arena uh, a few months ago. This summer, I think. Anyway, that was Rebel Girl by Angels and Airways. <laughs> Back Song to your of the day Predators Hockey Podcast. Yes. Here we are. Uh, before we get to a little bit of uh, roster talk, I got to give a shout out to Ryan Johansson, who walked off in Carolina twice. <laughs> Two years in a row, he did it. We thought it was great enough. If you didn't, if if you're not sure of what we're discussing, which if you're listening to this show, you're probably aware because we tweeted, we loved it, it was amazing. But if you're not aware, Ryan Johansson, two years ago in Carolina preseason, overtime, scores the game winner, right? Carolina, RBC, or sorry, or used to be RBC Center, PNC Arena, one of the few rinks in the National Hockey League where the visitor's bench is not attached to their locker room, so you have to skate across the ice to get to the locker room. And the zone in which the visitors are attacking in overtime in Carolina the door to the locker room is right in the corner of that zone. So two years ago, Ryan Johansson scores the goal, raises his arms up, and immediately is just like, you know what? There's a door right there. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna leave and go away. So, and at the time, he was like, okay, that was kind of dumb. At the time, I, I shouldn't yeah. have done that. Like, we, he's like, we asked him about it. He was like, I don't know why I did that. That was kind of silly. So bit immature, and, but but we thought. But so <laughs> we go back this year. This is the final preseason game, by the way. Uh, a couple, what, last week, a couple weeks ago at this point. Um, and he, lo and behold, who gets the winner in overtime, a 2-1 winner in overtime, it's Ryan Johansson. Yeah. You guessed it, right off the ice, into the door, and into the locker he room. He may have said it was a bad call last year, but I noticed more conviction this year when oh, he yeah. left. 
This is a man who just wants to end the preseason on his terms. <laughs> Ryan and Johansson I, was all of us. And I appreciate that, honestly. So let, let's talk about, we did want to go back, even though we've moved on to regular season, real hockey. Um, <laughs> there were some big roster <laughs> decisions. a reference to something? No, just, it's real. It's real. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the roster decisions have been made. 22 is the final number kept by the Preds. Yeah. That decision had to be made on October the 1st. Could have kept 23. You'll remember how we ingrained the number 23 into your brain. Yes. I think we set a pretty good stage for how those decisions would be made. Again, David Poyle, the GM of the Preds, our guest on the previous episode. I'd say there's still maybe some validity in listening to that in case you missed it. Um, he really broke down how the decisions on Ellie Tolvin and Rem Pitlick were made, what he's looking for from the bottom lines, from uh, his team, and the, what the coaching staff needs, what assets they need. So uh, even if you missed that, maybe go back and listen to that. But I think we did a pretty good job of explaining potentially what was coming. And then I'll admit that even then, we definitely assumed 23 would be the number, but you see it go down to 22. Um, I, I want to hear your take on that. So Mika Salamaki and Steven Santini are the final two cuts, if you will, but again, mm-hmm. still under contract, still in the organization. They had to go on waivers, as we discussed, both of them clear. Um, again, if you're going to pass a guy through waivers, this is the time to do it. There was, I mean, Josh Hosang, for example, is a pretty um, well-known name, a high draft pick, and he went through waivers as well and clear. So there's so many healthy bodies right now that it's a little easier to get guys down to your AHL affiliate. The Preds, I guess, ultimately put on close to close to 10 or so guys that go through waivers and all clear. So it seems to me the logic, especially with Santini, is you were probably going to be the eighth defenseman here, seventh or eighth defenseman. Do not see you getting game action soon. And, and so because of that, remember that the Admirals play the same basic structure and philosophy and system on the ice that Mm -hmm. the Predators play. I get it. It's not the NHL. But he wasn't going to get that game action here in Nashville. Decent, uh, okay, you know, second option to be in Milwaukee and learn and be able to play and get better there. I'll say this again. I said earlier in the summer. To me... Jeremy Davies was the main get in that PK Subban trade, and he looks fantastic, especially in this preseason. So I think there was some assumption that, well, Santini was a part of the Subban deal. Of course, he's going to be, you know, on one of these pairings, he's going to make this team. And I still think that he has a role to play, probably even this season, but you had to get him some opportunities to get better. You couldn't just keep him as the eighth defenseman, a la the Brad Hunt Memorial role um, for this year and, you know, expect him to be any better. Exactly. And I feel like, so you mentioned that, of course, Mika Salamaki, Steven Santini go down. Freddie Goudreau and Jared Tenorti were the other two who went down a couple of days prior. All of them have NHL experience. We all remember what Freddie did in the Stanley Cup final in 2017. Jared Tenorti has captained the Milwaukee Admirals, mm-hmm. wore the C for them last season and then Mika and Santini, of course. And we asked Peter Laviolette about this as well earlier in the week when the assignments were made. Uh, I liked what he said here. One, you mentioned it, just about getting guys playing. Freddie Goudreau only played 50 games last year, 50-ish, which is no small number, but at the same time, that's still a lot of scratches in there. Mika Salamaki's been hurt a lot mm-hmm. the, off and on the last couple of years. And even if he hasn't been hurt, he's a guy who would sometimes be scratched as well. Those are guys that you want playing. And I, similarly to a Pitlick, a Rem Pitlick or an Ellie Tolvanen type situation, whereas you want them playing specific roles, and if they're not going to play those specific roles, then it's better for them to go do it in the AHL. Same with these guys. I, I think you you want them playing. And yes, the Predators did keep a scratch up here. So Daniel Carr was the extra forward mm-hmm. on opening night. He does make the team. And then Matt Irwin who is traditionally in that 6-7 role with Yannick Weber. He is still up here as well as that seventh defenseman right now. But I liked what Peter Laviolette said as well about guys going down to Milwaukee a few days ago. He said, quote, There were a lot of players that played well, and just because you're going to Milwaukee doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It's a chance to develop, and we think most organizations have this. There are so many good hockey players out there now that you draft players, and they're more pro-ready than they've ever been. 
I think a lot of organizations see the same thing, but I think we're in a good spot just in regard to these guys clearing waivers and being down there. It provides us with good depth. The Predators have fantastic depth. The Milwaukee Admirals should be a pretty darn good hockey team. They've Mm -hmm. got a lot of guys who have not only NHL experience, but then some up-and-coming prospects as well. And we know the players are going to get hurt at times throughout the season. These guys are going to get called up at some point more than likely. But for the time being and the early going, Milwaukee's got to like the look of their lineup as well. And then it also provides that internal competition down in Milwaukee because there are so many guys down there right now who probably could be playing on this Predators team. It motivates them to be even better, to get noticed even more, to say, hey, when the Predators do need that call-up, I want to be the guy to come up. I don't want, yes, we're all teammates here. We're all on the same team. We're all working toward the same goal. But when that time comes, when that phone rings in Milwaukee, I want to be the guy that they're asking for. And it seemed iffy leading up to opening night that we'd get to see the full roster. There were several different players on the Preds battling with some health concerns. But I'm pleased that we got to see, you know, exactly what this coaching and management staff envisioned on opening night, you know, down to the very lines that they wanted to play. My final impression of this 22-man roster is it's a big spot for Rocco Grimaldi and probably Callie Yarncroke as well. When you put Kyle Turris on the third line, you heard David Poyle say it in our episode last week, they're really relying on the top nine. Again, they want to roll four lines whenever they can, but especially some scoring from those first three lines. And because of that, because you didn't try an Ellie Tolvin or a Rem Pitlick or one of these other veteran guys, I'm interested to see what Rocco Grimaldi is able to do in that role. I mean, playing with Kyle Terrace may be the best center he's ever played with in his career. Mm-hmm. And so I think in Friday's practice particularly, I did not see it as much in Thursday's game, but really just good to be refreshed on just how fast he is and, and the different um, you know plays that he can make just by his sheer will. You know, I, I think we've called him Victor Arvidsson light in the past. Um, and he's grinding it out too. He got yeah. 15 stitches yeah. the other day. He took a yeah. puck in practice. Yeah. And he's wearing that lower half cage shield bowl type mm-hmm. deal. Yeah, but he's play. He's a hockey player. He's playing through it. Yeah. So so I walk away thinking the again top two lines <laughs> numbers whatever you want to call them. I think that's maybe the best look the Preds have had in the last five years. I mean maybe more. Um, especially keeping Forsberg down there with Granlund and Duchesne again. Big pivotal piece. What does Grandland do? That's going to determine the top six. And then in that bottom six, it's, you know, how does Kyle Turris rebound? Does he have enough talent on his wings with a Grimaldi and a Yonkro to deliver that extra scoring? And, and I like what Laviolette has done. Really working on Austin Watson. The best part of his game is the defensive element. Nick Benino's probably at that stage in his career too. Colton Sissons has a little bit more versatility there. But when you put all three of them together, you're saying you are our shutdown line, you know, We'll take goals when we get them, but we're kind of stacking that fourth line a little bit. And so because of that, that's why I say it's a big spot for Grimaldi and Yarncro because they're really going to be expected to be, um, you know, bigger scorers. And again, we're kept on this roster, like I said, over names like Pitlick and Tolvanen and, you know, even Salamaki, even Goudreau. So um, I'm interested to see how that plays out going forward. So, yeah, this is the 22 we have. Um, one game down on this homestand, three more to go. Um, and a challenge coming up Saturday night with a Red Wings team that the Predators have really struggled with recently. Um, they haven't played yet. That era. Yeah, again, that's yeah coming up on Saturday night. So again, we'll see we'll see how that goes. Um, should be interesting to see. We'll see how that all plays out. As you mentioned, Detroit on Saturday, and then San Jose Tuesday, Washington on Thursday, and we'll come back with some information on how you might be able to be in attendance at the San Jose Sharks game as they face the Nashville Predators on Tuesday. That is coming up, and we'll answer some of your Twitter questions as well as we wrap things up on the Preds Official Podcast here on ESPN 1025 The Game. You know, I like Jimmy Eat World enough as it is, but when they decide to throw a little saxophone in on their new song, like, come on. It's not fair, Jim. Jimmy, what are you doing to me? Saxophone does make just about every song a little bit better. Saxophone's fantastic. We should get a saxophone on this show. That'd be, <laughs> that'd be amazing. Calvin, can you play the saxophone? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was that no? a yes? Oh, uh, violin. 
viola, piano. Piano. He can play the piano. Well, okay. That's fun. I, mean, I can play the piano, too. So maybe we could have some keys going on. It's not the saxophone, <laughs> but, you know. Okay. All right. We could have a segment like uh, Jimmy Fallon has on The Tonight Show where he's like, writes the thank you cards the and the music. You notes. Dun, 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 dun. Thank you. Dun, dun, yeah, maybe we'll have to bring that back. Uh, while we have you, check out the six-game pick plan presented by Dr. Pepper. The six best games you have the opportunity to pick um, from a couple different plans um, to see what fits your schedule best. That's at nationalpredators.com slash six-game. Um, a slew of benefits comes with it, including an NHL Winter Classic-themed gift. Um, you have the opportunity to buy playoff tickets, the season ticket citizen face-off gift, complimentary Dr. Pepper and a koozie. You then get to go to six Preds games, so that's, a, that's not a bad deal. We'll be there. <laughs> we'll probably Say hi be to there. Us. Check that out. Um, but we're also, not to ruin that promotion, we're going to give yeah. some tickets away right now to Tuesday's game against the San Jose Sharks, um, of course, at Bridgeton Arena and also involving the Nashville Predators. I'm sorry if you're listening to this on Wednesday or later, you have missed your chance. <laughs> but if not, you got to listen early. You got to listen early. If well, n- here's here's what I want the folks to do, though. Okay, let's hear By it. the way, this is the Preds official podcast. We wrap things up on <laughs> segment four. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we gave away tickets to opening night last time around. Mm-hmm. We had almost 40, I think we did have 40 entries, which is the most that we've ever had. That's great, yeah. For a prize. So thanks to all of you who entered. Um, gentleman by the name of Nick won, took his. Uh, his spouse, his lovely young child to the game. I hope they had a great time. Um, so shout out to Nick for entering and winning those tickets. However, I want to give someone else who entered and did not win, I would like to give you a second chance. Mm. So here's what I want you to do. That first tweet that you entered using hashtag Preds podcast and the keyword gold, I want you to reply to that tweet. So sorry for those of you who want to do this for the first time. Not eligible because you didn't enter last week. So wow. that's really These are yeah. stringent rules. Oh yeah. So I'm like, if you were in it, if you wanted to go to the opening night uh contest and you unfortunately weren't picked by me, sorry. Um, go ahead and reply to that tweet. We're gonna give you a second chance. Reply to that tweet Your using Your tweet, their tweet? Their tweet okay. that they replied using yep. hashtag Preds Podcast I keyword gotcha. gold saying they wanted to go to the home opener. Uh, simply reply to your own tweet, and you can enter again. Okay. And tell us why you want to go to the second one. There you go. We'd love to get you in on this homestand um, to experience a classic Preds-Sharks matchup. Boy, speaking of <laughs> good traditional stats, the Preds can really score a lot of goals against the San Jose Sharks when it comes to home games. They've, yeah, they they've got a really good record there, too. So come on out, see the Preds score seven goals. It'll be fun. <laughs> um, you heard it here first. Uh, the other reason you use hashtag Preds Podcast is to ask us questions and determine the direction this final segment goes. Let's start off with Kyle. How impressed were you with the effectiveness of each line? All of them got good pressure and decent looks. Do you think this continues going forward? So we touched on it a bit, but I I think it's yes and no. I mean, right. I don't we don't know what they're eventually going to be as the season goes along, right? Like the chances that these four lines stick together as they are are slim, slim, slim to none. There's there are injuries. Things will get changed yeah. around. Guys will go into slumps. What have you? Um, but what we saw on opening night, I liked that. I think that at least shows you what each line is capable of, and how they're able to gel together and and kind of build that chemistry. It's not always easy. Sometimes it works instantly when you put three new players together. Sometimes it takes a little bit. We did see some good looks, some good opportunities from all four of those lines. But I think as you go along, if they are allowed to stay together, and I would have to think that's going to be the case on Saturday because you typically do mm-hmm. not change things up after a win. It's yeah. usually after a loss and maybe a couple losses in a row. If Even after, you know, if you lose a game, let's not say let's blow everything up and start over again. But especially after a win, you're probably going to keep things together. I think these lines, barring injuries or anything else happening, will probably stay together throughout the homestand. Is that fair to say? I think so. Yeah, so for starters, I would say that the quality of opponent was a bit lower. We've, we've talked about that. The The Sharks and the Capitals, to me, are the two better teams the Preds will face in this homestand versus the um, Minnesota Wild and the Detroit Red Wings. And, and I would also add that 
of course production is going to dip. I mean, they're going to be nights when the lines don't score, don't look as good, don't aren't able to affect the defense as much. But I still remain very optimistic that the power play is able to, you know, make up mm-hmm. for some of that slack. The Preds score five goals, do not have a man advantage goal. I think that's more likely to change. I think this is, again, the preseason was was the preseason, and it only means so much. But under Dan Bear and his new philosophy, under new some of the personnel, including Matt Duchesne, I was encouraged enough during that sample size to say, this seems like a unit that can convert at 20, 25% easily on the main advantage. And that equates to at least every other game you're getting a goal on the power play. So um didn't happen on Thursday night for the opener, but I think that's coming and, and likely coming very quickly. So I think when you add that in, yeah, you, you don't have to worry necessarily about, hey, the fourth line didn't score tonight like it did on Thursday. You know, that's okay. Like, it, that's just not how it's always going to be, and especially when the competition um, ramps up, at least in its level of talent. So, but great start. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's the point of this episode. Great start. I mean, if it were a bad start, we'd be sitting here saying that it was. It wasn't. It was a great start. All right, let's move on and, you know, try to replicate that. That's, that is the buzzword when it comes to hockey, consistency. Consistency. Um, this is an interesting one. Suze Gator, loyal listener, asks, is the 23rd roster spot likely to remain open for just in case, or is there plans afoot? So, yeah, I think we kind of maybe drilled that 23 number into people's heads a little too far. Like, they were like, <laughs> well, like, are they even, are they just playing with one arm tied behind their back? Yeah. Like, what are they doing? Yeah, so they don't need to have yeah. 23. You it, can have up to 23, but it's not a necessity. Like you just, only dress 20 per game. Exactly. Just like you said, they already have an extra forward and an extra defenseman. Um, and I would add, there's times when you go on a long road trip, which the Preds will be doing in two weeks when they go out to California, that you maybe want an extra guy, an extra, extra guy mm-hmm. with you in case, you know, like, let's say two guys go down on one, in one game and you're playing the next night. But even then, that's really just a luxury. And don't don't feel like the Predators couldn't recall or get an extra body if needed in hours. I mean, mere hours. Sure. Like, and, and none of those games out there are back-to-back either. I yeah. think that's a situation where you'd really... If they were going to California and playing three games in four days, mm-hmm. you might take an extra couple with you. But this upcoming trip, that first road trip, is a Saturday in L.A., a Tuesday in Vegas and a Thursday in Arizona. So you know the schedule better than I do. If something happens, yeah. you've got time right, yeah. to get And someone. again, you still have an extra forward next to events, and we're talking yeah. about multiple players going down. And again, you didn't even necessarily have to construct the roster like this. The Preds could have kept six defensemen and 14 forwards. And, you know, like that's rare. Not, not ideal, but... Right, that, that that's rare, but no, they're not disadvantaged because they aren't using that extra spot. Um, I, I, I think it's even more likely, like, you probably get a guy in injured reserve and remember that doesn't count against the 23 so then you in theory could have two open spots i think that 23rd spot remains open for a little while longer as long as the preds roster remains healthy um again the advantage is being quickly not only are salty and santini and goudreau and all those guys getting actual playing time in milwaukee but you're also you know saving yourself money and and not wasting a guy just practicing and not being able to play And finally, Jan, this question was asked weeks ago, and we keep bumping it because we kept getting so many, but it's getting asked this week. Sorry, Jan. Jan, thanks for hanging on. Uh, Jan Levinson. Jan Wanted to know, talk about the skill level of different hockey leagues as compared to the top NCAA teams. How has the talent level between them changed over the years? How long would it be before a top player and junior such as Philip Tomasino, Igor Afanasiev would be ready for the AHL? So that's a very interesting question. Yes. You can immediately go to someone like Dante Fabro, who just mm-hmm. spent three years in the NCAA, is ready for NHL action. We see it every year. The top NCAA players toward the end of their season are coming out of the NCAA and signing with NHL clubs and playing with NHL clubs. They're not starting in the minor leagues. So if you're a top player in the NCAA, you are probably going straight to the NHL. That's how good college hockey is now. And then junior hockey as well. The skill level there is off the charts. The The question says, how long would Tomasino, Afanasi have guys like that? When would they be ready for the AHL? You heard David Poyle last week say he thinks that. that Philip Tomasino might be ready to play here next year. Not in the AHL, but yeah. in the NHL, or at least get a look in the NHL. That's how, how good, how skilled some of those guys are as well. So the skill level from the guys coming up 
I tell you what, no matter where you're playing, college hockey, juniors, wherever you feel is best for you, you're going to get some pretty darn good experience and you're going to be able to hone your craft and build your skill and get ready for the ultimate goal, which of course is the National Hockey League. But everybody takes a different path, but I feel like a lot of these guys now, if they have what it takes, you're going to find your way to the NHL no matter where you go. In addition to that, there's been a resurgence resurgence in the last 10 years or so of more American players, more American players getting drafted. The collegiate route has really elevated its level of play and is now being seen as a, a pretty good route to go. Again, Dante Fabro is Canadian, yet elected. You know, I don't have to stay in Canada and play in one of these leagues. The NCAA is a very good and viable route for me to go and be prepared for the NHL. And it never hurts to have a college education either. We've heard Dante say that he's going to finish his degree up as well. He wants to finish that no, uh, and, and have that diploma correct, too. Correct, it sure doesn't. Yeah, and, and then finally, juniors, of course, is below traditionally AHL and NCAA, I, I would say. I mean, it, it's closer between juniors and, and NCAA. And the AHL is a little bit different in that, you know, you get more veteran players and guys trying to make it. Juniors in the NCAA are definitely younger, up-and-coming players trying to make it. Um, But traditionally, it's three to four years from the juniors process, right? Mm -hmm. Like, think think of, you know, some of these other press prospects we've seen come up. It's juniors for a few years, then maybe Milwaukee. I'd say juniors for two years, Milwaukee for a year or two, and then NHL. So traditionally... You draft a guy like Tomasino in 2019, I had four years, and I think, okay, 2023. Mm-hmm. But, hey, if David Poyle says he could potentially be competing for a spot next year, he is right way more than I am right. So I'm interested to see how that goes. <laughs> um, for Brooks Bratton, follow him on Twitter and Instagram, at Brooks Bratton. I'm Thomas Willis. I'm at Tommy Willis. Are you sure about <laughs> On Twitter, I think. I'm, I'm Ron Thomas Burg- Willis. I'm Ron Burgundy. Um, we're both, of course, of NationalPredators.com. Thanks to Victor Arvidsson for joining us this week on the P.O.P., Please go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those different podcast delivery service. Rate and subscribe. That really helps us, and we appreciate just hearing from you and knowing that you listen to the show and enjoy it. Welcome back to Hockey Season. We're, we're excited to have you um, for this 2019-20 campaign. It's October. Spooky season. 